0: Connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. If you've not been here, this whole series is all about the Gospel of Mark. We've been war- uh, working our way through it. All, it'll take us all the way through uh, the end of the summer. And the prayer and hope is that uh, we would make decisions through this series, and, and specifically, that God is who he says he is. That'll make more sense as we jump into this today. But I want to welcome all of you, especially if you're new with us. Uh, just, we are so thrilled that you're here today. Uh, if it's your first time, if it's your 10th time, uh, maybe you've been coming for a couple of years and you have not yet decided to engage with Mountain View Fellowship, I hope that you'll choose to do that today. Uh, the reason for that is because we want you to know this isn't just a one hour on a Sunday morning thing. This is a way of life. This is, what, this is who we are, and we live this out every day of the week. We hope that if you're new, you're checking some things out, that you would decide that, home, that this would be your home church, that you would put down some roots and start growing here at MVF, and, and that put down roots and start growing, that'll make more sense as we get into the message today. But I, I want you to know, uh, there are a lot of opportunities for you to connect with the church, it doesn't matter where you're at, what season of life, if you're, if you're a man or if you're a lady, it doesn't matter. We've got stuff for everybody here. Just as an example, this last week, our Mops group had their last meeting of the year, and they celebrated, just had a big old party. If you don't know what Mops are, it's mothers of preschoolers, and so they're going to be kicking off another round of this next fall, but this is just one example of all the different ways that you can connect. And so if you're serious about diving in, growing in your faith, like I said, putting down roots and growing, uh, we want you to contact uh, one of the staff members here. And we would love to get you plugged in and get you growing here at Mountain View Fellowship. Uh, Today is the fourth week of this series, which means we are in chapter 4. So if you would, grab your Bibles, head over to Mark chapter 4 with me. And I want to remind you that you'll see a number pop up on the screen every once in a while. It has Ask Anything on it. Uh, That is our Ask Anything program. If you have questions anytime during this message, you can text those questions to that phone number. And pastors will respond to you. They'll get you an answer Back. So we want to make sure that we're answering your questions, and that's available for you anytime during the message. Now, if you haven't been here, I need to I feel like I need to take you back to the very first week because one of the things that we love about this book, it's the, the gospel of Jesus on steroids, and it just it kicks off when John Mark sat down and wrote this. He literally told you from the very, very first verse of the entire book what he was doing, why he was writing this book. And I keep drawing your attention back to this because anytime. Uh, that you get to the place where you're like wondering, why is that in there? Like, why would he record that? Why would he tell us that story? And it might even happen today as we're covering some of the stuff in chapter four. If you ever get to that place and you're wondering why, all you have to do is go back to Mark chapter one, verse one. It says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. The reason he's writing this is because he wants you to know that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Now, we came out of chapter three last week, and uh, if you were with us, you know that Jesus was in Capernaum. He was in his hometown of Capernaum, and I want to show you a picture of ancient Israel, kind of where some of the cities were at. And if you take a look at this, at the very top, you'll notice the Sea of Galilee. This is northern Israel. The Sea of Galilee sitting there, uh, it looks like, they call it the Harp of David. It looks like a harp almost. And at the very north point there, you'll see a city called Capernaum. That was Jesus' hometown. That's where he was doing ministry out of. Last week, if you remember... Uh, he, was, he was in the synagogue on Sabbath. He healed a man, and they started to the plot to kill him, and so he walks out of Capernaum, and he begins doing ministry all along the coast of the Sea of Galilee, going down the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Next week, you're going to see where he's actually going to go to the other side, but this week, we're on this western side, and he's doing some ministry there, and all of these crowds start pressing in around him. Like, he's getting very popular. The word about him spreading. People are coming in from everywhere. We found out last week that all of these crowds are coming in uh, from places like Tyre and Sidon, which are like 60 miles northwest, and this is before good travel, so they're either having to ride a donkey or a cart, or having to walk this whole distance to get to him. They're also coming from places like Edome, way down the south. It's over 100 miles away down the south, and they're traveling in to see him. So they've got all these people packing into Galilee to see this man named Jesus. And uh, what you're going to see at the very beginning of this chapter is that Jesus does something very interesting. He gets in a boat and they push away from the shore and he begins to teach. And if I can get that map back up there just for a second, I want to show you something because we were just on the Sea of Galilee two months ago and just out of curiosity, we're out there in the middle of the lake and um, I pulled up my altimeter on my phone. And it showed that the surface of the water was about negative 680 feet below sea level. And so from there, the mountains shoot up all the way around the Sea of Galilee. So it sets in this deep crevice. And the mountains shoot up about 2,000 feet in all directions around it. So as you're looking around the lake, all you can see are just these mountain ranges around you. And, of course, 2,000 feet, that's not really a mountain range for us here in Colorado, right? Uh, but it does, as you continue north, you'll hit Mount Hermon. It's, it's over 9,200 feet. But right there, immediately, out of the water, it shoots up about 2,000 feet. So here's the picture I want you to get. Jesus gets in a boat. He pushes away from the shore. The, the shoreline shoots upward. And all of these people are sitting on the side of the shore, So keep that in mind, because what it does, and we tested this one time when we were there. Somebody was speaking, and you could hear them way up on the side of the mountain. It creates this amphitheater. It's like a natural amphitheater. And this is what Jesus is taking advantage of when he gets in the boat, pushes away, and begins to speak to the people so that they all can hear exactly what he has to say. In Mark chapter 4, this is what we refer to as the Sermon of the Parables, he launches into several parables right in a row. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8. There's some differences and some similarities between all of those. And if you're a geek like I am when it comes to Scripture, you can lay those out all side by side and take a look at what's similar and what's a little bit different, and you'll pick up a lot out of those stories. It's, it's pretty fascinating. But we're going to read it out of Mark chapter four this morning, and uh, the sermon of the parables. And then at the very end, Jesus does something very interesting, and we'll we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But let's uh, let's jump into the text. Verse one, it says, "Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat." Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly but because uh, because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand Now, in first century Palestine, the people, as they were traveling back and forth, would have been very familiar with this parable. Parables, if you don't know what they are, they're just stories that Jesus uses using everyday, normal activities, items. Uh, He's using um, things that they're very familiar with to teach a bigger spiritual truth or a deeper spiritual truth. And so as he begins to talk about this farmer that's, you know, he's got a satchel on, he's taking handfuls of seed, and he's scattering seed, they would have been very familiar with this. They would have seen it around them all the time because this is one of the ways that they survived back then. They had to grow their own food. And, and so they would, they would see farmers out in the fields scattering. Now, farming was done a little bit differently. They didn't have John Deere back then. And so uh, what they would do many times is scatter the seed And then they would go and they would turn the soil over. So it's a little different than what we do today where we actually plow and then we plant. And so because of that, the farmer would go around a field, whatever field he wanted to plant in, and he would scatter seed and he would be very liberal at it because the more generous he was, the better chance that he had of producing a bigger crop. And so in this, Jesus uses four different soil types as an example. He says, as this farmer is scattering seed, some falls along a footpath, others fall along rocky soil, and others uh, along an area that's got thorns, and, and some of the translations say even weeds in it that choke out the new plants. And then, of course, we have fertile or good soil That he scatters. Now, while sowing, the farmer knew that he'd lose some of the seed along the filled edge, but it was worth a handful of seed to ensure that every bit of soil was covered, that he would get the best crop possible. And so he would he would liberally throw those seeds around. And people would have seen farmers doing this all the time. And maybe some of them on the way to see Jesus, traveling those long distances that we just talked about, may have even walked by somebody that was doing that in that moment. And so as Jesus begins to teach, their mind would have gone to, oh, yeah, I've seen that done. I know exactly what he's talking about. But what does he mean by this? In verse 10, the disciples are sitting in the same boat we are, right? Like they're going, what is he talking about? What does he mean by this farmer spreading seed and these four different soils? And so in verse 10, it says, later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around... They asked him what the parable meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scripture might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? And we'll get to that in just a minute. It says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed then that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since... They don't have deep roots. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word. But all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire of other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So Jesus comes right out. and this is one of the reasons why I love this parable. There's no question as to what he means. He literally comes out and tells us every little detail of this parable. He says, the soils are the heart of the people who make a choice about the message as to who he is. The condition of a person's heart can be compared to four different soils that receive the seed. I think it's fascinating. We just covered this last week in Mark chapter 3. We talked about how Jesus, at the end of that chapter, was talking about the unforgivable sin. Remember that? Or the unpardonable sin? And that, Jesus said, was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And we said that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is this idea of an ongoing hardening of our heart and rejection of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit tries to reveal to us who Jesus is. And so it's this ongoing hardening of the heart. And on the tail end of that, of Jesus saying, look, don't harden your heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Because if you do, you'll get to a place where you will block me out. And it's the unforgivable sin, not because I can't forgive you, but because you won't let me. And so right on the tail end of that, Jesus teaches a parable about our heart compared to four different soils. Jesus, I believe, wants them to identify the soil that represents their heart so that they can correct it before it's too late. And that's what he wants us to do today is to identify our heart with what soil it represents. Like, where are we at today? And that's a question for each and every one of us. We have to answer this on a very personal level. Where is your heart today? And there's these elements within the parable we, we have a farmer that's planting seed and God tells us, look, this is taking the word of God to others, the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that you have a God that loves you, that because of sin, we, we had a broken relationship with him. And yet Jesus came for us and he gave his life. He died on the cross and he rose again so that you could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and we take that to people. And then based on their heart, the posture of their heart, the the hardening of their heart determines the response to that message. The the first one was the footpath, remember? Uh, A footpath is where people walk. Uh, The dirt is well worn and it's harder than the ground on either side of it. Because the more people walk on the footpath, they, they pack it down the dirt becomes hard and like concrete and the seed that falls on the footpath can't sink down into the dirt it can't penetrate that and therefore the seed can't take root and because of that it says birds come along and eat it and in Jesus explanation he says satan takes it away like when your heart is that hard you can't you can't even receive the message Um, we, We laid out four examples out in the lobby for you today to take a look at. And I hope that as we talk about it, as you look at those, that you're identifying where your heart is at today. And I pray that it's not this one. I pray and I know just for the sheer number of people here today, some of you will have to say, yes, this is where I'm at. And I want to be honest with you, it breaks my heart. If you're at a place where your heart is so hard that you cannot receive the message that God has for you, this footpath is is those who hear the message, but Satan takes it away from them. They won't even listen to it. There was a young man, he was a friend of our family, and and, uh, I spent years just talking to him. Um, And and it was interesting, he knew I was a pastor, and so every time we would get together, uh, he literally would pick a fight. Like he would want to argue about scripture with me because he knew I was a pastor and I wasn't trying anything with him like I was trying to avoid it we'd go to family things or whatever and he'd be there and I would just I would just say hey how's it going man and we'd just start and he had always somehow figure out a way to to bring something in that he'd read on Google that he'd want to fight over and it was years of this and it was exhausting and frustrating and I would pray for him because I knew he was frustrated uh, looking back on it now, I realized that, you know, he was living such a lifestyle that he knew God wouldn't approve and he was doing everything he could to explain God away. And one of the last times that we got together, I remember him telling me, we were having a discussion about the parable that Jesus tells about the shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep and he goes off to find the one lost sheep. And his, his statement to me was, I'd never want to be the one that Jesus left the 99 for. I was like, dude, you just missed... The entire parable. Like that parable is not about the 99 that got left behind because they weren't left behind. They were already right with God. That parable is about the one that's lost. And I wanted to say, like you, the one that has a hard heart that's rejecting him, he'll go out of his way for you. Like he died for you, whether you accept him or not. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us whether we received him or not and he would reject it and reject it and reject it he was this this heart condition of this footpath that was so hard he wouldn't even let it take root in his life the next soil that Jesus talks about is rocky soil Um, now let me just ask you think this is a good place to plant seed no, nobody thinks that, right? Uh, yeah, we joke about it here. I know uh, my yard is horrible. I'll just admit it, all right? Um, I always tease my wife and say, you know what we ought to do? We ought to just take rock and just cover our entire yard because it seems like that's the only place grass will grow here, right? <laughs> and, and, and yet, here's the interesting thing about that. Uh, yeah, the grass grows up there, and we deal with it here at the church. It sprouts up all the time, but the roots can't go too deep. Uh, it's possible for things to grow in the rocks, but usually those things that, that crop up don't last very long. Why? Well, Matthew and Mark, when they're talking about this parable, they mention shallow soil. When Luke writes about it, he mentions a lack of moisture. And I think both are true. Like, regardless, the result is the same. The plant can't put down some deep roots, and so therefore it weathers in these rocky places. The, it, it's hard for these, these plants to grow deep roots. And Any seed that starts to grow in that thin soil soon weathers away because of the intense heat and the lack of moisture. You just can't. You end up dying because of that. And Jesus says that this rocky soil represents those who hear the word of God, but they don't have roots. Remember I was challenging you earlier, make this your home church, put down some roots and grow here. This is what I'm talking about. Because I don't want this to happen to anybody. Those who don't have deep roots, they experience problems in life and they just fall away. We had a family that came into church years ago, and it was a husband and wife, and they had a daughter, an older daughter, a teenage daughter. And I remember over the course of a few years, they came in, and they heard the gospel, and they responded to it, and they got baptized, and, and it was this amazing thing that was happening, all three of them, and it seemed like they were just growing in their faith, and I was so excited. There was great, great um, just opportunity for them. And, and then the day came when their daughter graduated, and she went off to college, and it, it didn't hit me until after all of it went down. But what had happened is they had made their entire married life about their kid. Their daughter had become their idol. And when she left and she went off to college, I, I think something happened to them that happened to so many other couples. That all of a sudden, their daughter was gone, and they turned and looked at each other, and like, who are you? Like they hadn't fostered a relationship with God, much less with each other. And when their daughter left, they didn't know each other. And then the next thing I know, whether it was physical or emotional, he has an affair with somebody else. His wife ends up divorcing him. They end up splitting and going different directions. I had many conversations with him afterwards. And I would go, what about this? Like when you guys were there and you got excited about God, what was the deal? Like Like, I'm trying to draw him back. I'm trying to get him to listen. And he he had hardened his heart to a point at that point where he just said, look, it was a phase for me. I was just trying to make my wife happy. He liked what he was doing, and he wanted to stay in it, and he wouldn't hear the good news. He wouldn't seek forgiveness. It's an example of that rocky soil. And my question is, is that where your heart's at today? Are you rejecting what God's trying to tell you this morning because you're hanging on to pieces of your life that you know are not right? Maybe you're pursuing some type of sin and you think it's a secret, but the reality is God knows every little thing that you do. You have to be careful because when trouble hits, when the storms set in, when the heat is on, you're going to wither away. The next one that we get, the next example that Jesus gives us is um, thorny soil. And some of the translations actually say thorn, thorns and weeds, that they grow up in that. And I believe that everyone sitting here right now, we understand this soil, right? <laughs> this is what this is my yard. I'll just admit it. This is my yard. Uh, this is where we're at. And we go out, we try to pull the weeds best we can. And what's the number one uh, rule for pulling weeds? Yeah, you got to get the root, right? Got to get the root. Because if you don't get the root, the, the stupid thing will grow back. And weeds are strong, like wherever they're at, they just take over, and good plants can't even grow there. The strong roots of these weeds, they, they use up all the nutrients, all the vitamins within the soil, and the plants that are left have nothing else to, to live on. It just steals everything from the good plants, and these plants barely grow at all. The good ones try to sprout up, but they get choked out by the, the thorns and the weeds, and, and pretty soon they just die off. They, they can't produce any good grain or fruit or vegetables. And Jesus says, look, this this thorny soil, it's this representation of those who hear God's word, but the message is crowded out. Get this, because one of these might hit home today. By the worries of this life, by the lure of wealth, by the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. I'll just say, I, I think this is the American culture. It's where we're at. We're so blessed we don't need God. And so we don't acknowledge Him. And we were told about this way back in Deuteronomy chapter six. The author actually wrote, and this is centuries ago, he says, Look, the Lord your God's gonna bring you into a land that He promised you. And it's prosperous and it has these big cities that you didn't build and houses are gonna be richly stocked with goods that you didn't produce. You're going to draw water out of cisterns you didn't dig. And you're going to eat from vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's where we're at today. And then he issues a warning. He says, and when you've eaten your fill of this land, be careful not to forget the Lord your God. I think that's where we're at. I I think all of us fall into that category. Where this thorny soil, worries of life. The lure of wealth, it's where we're at. And it's interesting to me too, because we think that somehow the next step is gonna be better. If we get that next promotion, or if we just make a little bit more money, things are gonna get better, right? I tell you what, I'm old enough now, I look back on my early 20s when I had a wife and a little bitty apartment that was like $199 a month, and I had a little bitty kid, and I had a nine to five job, right? And I look back on that as the good days. And I remember back then, I kept thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of this junky place. I can't wait to get to a better place in life. I can't wait to make more money. can't wait to have a better title, better job. And yet, now I look back on that and go, that was a good time. Because what happens with titles? What happens with more money and more responsibility, right? More worries. More pressure. More responsibility. And yet, this is where we live today. I think another example of this, of this pursuit of everything else, and this is where I'm going to cross a line. I'm just going to upset some of you. I'm just being honest with you, all right? Um, Are these families that are sold out for sports, and I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about their kids. Am I crossing a line yet? It's interesting to me how we just completely vacate when a certain season comes around. Uh, Jim Putman, one of the pastors in our in our network, um, had a son that just went way off the rails don 't have time to get into all of it. Years later, he would write a book called Hope for the prodigal and then that he 's talking about parenting and how difficult it is and and how so uh, so often we get our priorities messed up and He wrote this he said recently, I had to tell some parents they were making a huge mistake. they had missed church for a better part of two years, following their kids to every soccer game and tournament in the region all for the hope of a scholarship. We're losing, we're losing in two ways. First, their children would need good spiritual friends to keep them connected to Jesus in the future, but because of their involvement in other things, their children had no real friendships in youth group or even in the church. I told these parents that their kids need to be taught about Jesus so they could answer the hard questions of life, but because they were not in places where spiritual truth was taught or where it could be learned... The kids were ill prepared. Making matters worse, spare time at home was spent on soccer in the backyard rather than talking about spiritual things. Second, if their kids didn't get a if their kids did get a scholarship, the college they were aiming for likely would do its best to inter- indoctrinate them in the ideas such as theory of evolution, the concept of pluralism, so-called diversity and tolerance, and would surround them with peers having completely different lifestyles and philosophies. I told these parents. That they were working hard to hand their kids over to a college and society that would likely destroy in them the godly values that they said they cared most about. I told them that if they didn't change their priorities, they would one day hear things coming out of their kids' mouths that would break their hearts. How do I know this? Because I lived it. Because I see it all the time. I think that's a perfect example of this soil with thorns and weeds And we we have to do a better job for ourselves, not just for ourselves, but for our families, of cultivating better soil. And and up to this point, I think the parable is depressing, but finally we get to this, this good soil that Jesus talks about. He says this good soil, it produces a crop of 160 or even 30 times more than what was planted. See, farming experts can tell you exactly what their soil needs, what kind of nutrients and fertilizers that they need. And uh, They use all the right stuff so that plants can grow and, and g- even get bigger. They want the seeds to grow into large, healthy plants that will give them uh, good grain, good fruit, good vegetables. And if it's done right, a handful of seeds are going to produce bushels of good things to eat. Jesus tells us this parable talking about the good soil, are, it's representative of those who hear the message, not just hear it, but they hear it, like they accept it. They produce a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times what was planted. We have a lot of you in this room. And so I know I'm banging on some stuff this morning, but I want to celebrate those of you that are doing this right. Your heart is soft towards God and you're responsive to everything that he's calling you to do. You're like, here I am, send me. You are looking for what God wants to do in your life every day. You wake up in the morning going, okay, God, I know today belongs to you. How do you want to use me? And you go about life with him at the center of everything that you do. Um, There are some people tonight that are making this decision. They heard the message of the gospel, and they're responding to it. They've received Christ. And tonight, if you come back at 7 o'clock, you're going to witness that because we're going to get a bunch of them in the tub tonight, and we're going to baptize them, and they're taking their first steps toward this way of life. And I'm excited about that. You don't want to miss that tonight. Make sure that you come back. Because I think it's a prime example of what happens when our hearts are soft and we hear the word of God and we respond to it. Now, I want to point out a few things about these soils that I find very interesting. First of all, um, of the four soils that Jesus lists, how many of them are good? One. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? But here's the other thing that I realized when I was reading through this is that all the soils really are the same. Do you realize that? It's the same soil, but the difference is what's been added to the soil. The rocks, the weeds, and the thorns, and we have to be careful what we're adding into the soil. Now, this is the word of God. I think it's so fascinating that Jesus, to start off his sermon of the parables, and and we're going to talk about the parables here in just a minute, that he's talking about the kingdom of God. Before he even gets into the parables, he tells a parable about the condition of our heart, which determines whether we can receive the rest of the parables or understand the rest of the parables or not. He's asking the question right up front, where are you at? Because I don't want you to miss this, so you have to check your heart. So, how are we to respond to the word? Today, 2023, here we are reading this passage. How are we supposed to... What are we supposed to do about this? We we know that we respond through hearing, right? But it's not just simple hearing through our ears. It's actually this humble acceptance in our hearts. Which makes all the difference in the world. We can hear it all day long. But until it sinks into our heart, it doesn't make any difference. And actually, the Hebrew word that they use for to hear implies obedience. James, when he wrote his book, he said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. It's this impl- implication, I'm, I'm sorry, it implies this obedience to what you hear. So my question is, how will you respond this morning? Where is your heart at? Is it soft? Are you hard? Jesus tells this parable about the heart He challenges everyone to check their hearts. And then he goes on to tell several parables. First one is a parable of the lamp. And the meaning of this one is even though the message of Christ is a mystery to some, that it shouldn't keep us from proclaiming it to all. We need to tell everybody about Jesus. We need to be spreading the good news to everyone, whether they are open to it or not. He goes on to tell a parable of the growing seed. God alone is responsible for the growth in his kingdom. That's the meaning behind that one. God's got this. Like, it's not up to you how people respond to the word. It's just your job to proclaim it. And how he responds is between them and God. Or how she responds between her and God. That's not up to you. Our job is just to proclaim it. And then there's a the parable of the mustard seed. And the meaning behind this parable is the ultimate success of God's kingdom is assured precisely because God will give it its growth. It's not us. It takes something very, very tiny, blows it up, grows it. And it provides shade and food for everyone. It's amazing what God can do with just a group of people that have soft hearts and are devoted to him, that understand it and live it out. Jesus wraps up the the sermon of the parables, and then it says in verse 33, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables, but afterwards, When he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love this because this is the only time in Scripture that we're told that Jesus ever slept. And it's right in the middle of a life-threatening storm. And yet he's back there sleeping. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and waves obey him. Jesus, in the first several chapters, has shown his authority over diseases and over spirits and over death. And then, in this chapter, uh, he exercises his authority over the natural, over the storms, the the wind, and the waves. These are all signs that prove Jesus is who he says he is, that he has divine authority and control, that he is in Mark 1, 1, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's proven it over and over again. And after all the disciples had seen and witnessed, they were there as he was healing lame people and they were getting up and walking, blind were seen, he was casting out evil spirits. Even after they had seen all of that and witnessed all that, they get in a boat with him and the waves begin to hit the boat and what do they do? They freak out. They wake Jesus up. He calms the seas with a word. And then he asks the question, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Were their hearts open? I think possibly. They were searching. It's why their question comes next. Who is this man? Who is he? And that's a question for every one of us to answer. Nobody else can answer it for you. Your friend can't. Your parents can't. No one can answer that question for you. You have to answer it for yourself. Who is this man? And the response to that, I think, so often depends on the soil. It depends on our heart posture. Is your heart soft? Are you listening to what God would teach you this morning? Or is it hard? You're hanging on to stuff, and you're resisting the pull of the Holy Spirit this morning. Who is this man? How do you, how do you answer that? Because I think it depends on the condition of your heart. I'm going to ask our prayer team, our elders, our leadership team, if they would just move to the outside of the room for me at this time. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this way today. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Where's your heart at? What's the soil of your heart? And how do you answer the question, who is this man? Uh, Maybe, maybe your heart is just starting to soften for the first time. Maybe you've never received Christ before. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I don't want you leaving here today without knowing him all these people that are spread out around the outside of the room you can look around they're friendly they're not going to bite part of our leadership here at Mountain View Fellowship they just want to pray with you if you've never received Christ today today's the day Um, let me tell you one of the biggest problems that we have no one is ever present you realize that like, we're always thinking ahead. We're thinking about tomorrow, what we're going to do after this. We're not present. Somebody told me years ago, wherever you are, be all there. And in this moment, I believe God is calling you to himself. The question is, where's your heart? What's the posture of your heart? Don't miss this. Be present. And if God is calling you to receive him now, I'm during this next portion, I just want you to get up and I want you to go to one of these people on the wall and I want you just to ask them to pray over you, to to help you start this new journey with Jesus Christ. Don't leave here without that. Uh, There's another group of you in here today as we're going through the soils, you have to say that your heart is that rocky soil or your heart heart has been hard and you've been rejecting the, the, the call of the Holy Spirit now, if your desire is that that would change, I want you to go get prayer this morning. Just go. I-, I, want, I want them to pray over you. I want them to pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to soften your heart. That you could hear the Holy Spirit louder. And that you could be you could be drawn to Him and molded and shaped to look somebody like, that looks more and more like Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss today. Let me pray and then we're just gonna spend some time worshiping together and we're gonna just open up the room for prayer and then in a little while we're gonna gonna open it up for communion together as a family. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now as your people. God, for those who have hardened their hearts against you, I pray that today they they would open themselves up, that they would allow the Holy Spirit to break, break them down so that they wouldn't miss out on what it is that you have for them, not just someday, but today. God, I pray for those that are, maybe they're hiding things in their life. They've got sin in their life that they need to take care of, they need to address, Lord, and they've been hiding it. Even though they think they've got it in the dark, you know all about it. God, I pray today would be a day of confession and repentance, that they would turn it over to you. Lord, I just pray that in all these things, you're continuing to mold and shape us into people that look more and more like you. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people agreed and said,